Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Well, I started a sermon series last week entitled Good to Know, and we're looking at topics, passages in the Bible that you have submitted that you would think be good to know. You should have received an email Wednesday, gave you a link to get your topic in, but if you open up your Peavine City app, you will find Good to Know, this very logo there, and you click on it and submit something you would like to have a sermon on. It's the only time of the year you get to pick what I preach, and so uh, now's your chance and I preached on heaven last week. Now, coming up in the next few weeks, not exactly sure when, I'm going to preach on the church. And we're going to talk about even some changes that will be coming soon here at Peavine. And so you don't want to miss that. Also, we've got a lot of questions about um, uh, the end times, the rapture, the book of the Revelation. So in a few weeks, not sure when, could be next week, I'm not sure yet. I- I'm actually going to put my glass marker board up here. And I'm going to draw for you uh, what I believe is a timeline from the Bible on where, how things are going to happen and where I think we are, because I think we're closer than you po- could possibly imagine uh, to the Lord coming back. And so I'm going to draw some of that and talk about that uh, in a few weeks, so you don't want to miss them. So you still have time to get in a subject or a passage, and I'm trying to go with the ones that have the most requests that I can answer, so, or I can preach about. And so if you'll get yours in, that'll help uh, bolster the cause some. And even some of these I'm going to keep and try to sprinkle them in throughout the rest of the year. So even if you don't get it in July, I'm going to try to get it as we go forward. I want to preach on this subject today, I wish, I wish. Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8, and we'll stand and read in just a moment, not right now. One of the subjects that that was requested over and over again was deal with the subject of regret. How do we deal with regret? And people ask it, multiple people ask it. How how do you deal with, and so how do you deal with things you've done wrong? How do you deal with regret over some decisions you made? How how do you deal with that? And that's multiple ways, multiple times. I entitled the sermon, I wish, because that's usually the phrase we use. I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish that would never happen. I wish I'd made a better decision. I wish is usually the language of regret. Well, what's your biggest regret in life? As Strayer, the students at Strayer University wanted to see what people would write down as their greatest regrets in life. So they went to New York City and they set up a chalkboard on the sidewalk and they put cameras all around the chalkboard and they wrote at the very top, you can see it on the screen, write your biggest regret. And so they put colored chalk there with it and they had cameras all around it as they watched. It took a little while for someone to come by and and eventually write something down, but soon it began to overflow with people writing down their request. And they wrote things like, uh, uh, my biggest regret was burning bridges or never speaking up or not being a good husband or not saying I love you to my family, never uh, applying to med school, not making the most of every day, not being a better friend. They saw that board fill up and it just filled up in a short amount of time. And they noticed that one word kept popping up over and over again. It was the word not. 
That people had regrets over what they didn't do as much as what they did do. And they did something really cool when they finished with it. As the board filled up with different stories and they interviewed some people and, and they uh, heard different stories, they, they erased that top portion that said, why your biggest regret, write your biggest regret. And they wrote the words, clean slate. And so the very people who had, had written down what, they, what the regrets were were then allowed to take an eraser and and wipe out their biggest regret. They interviewed one girl who said, I suddenly feel hopeful. It, hopeful it, makes, it means that there is a possibility, maybe, for me to move beyond my regret. It's amazing how quickly regret can get us down. I mean, we could put up a similar board out in uh, this room and I could put it in the back and we wouldn't do it because of the, uh, we couldn't stay anonymous. But if we did, we we could put up a board in the back and we could write things on the board as well. And if we, we wrote things on the board, we would see things like this. We would see sins that were written on the board. Like there are regrets in our lives for things we have done wrong, for sins we have committed, for, for actions that we took that we would give anything in the world if we could undo those. We'd see sin written on the board. Not only would we see sin, we would see words and conversations we regret. Hey, can I ask you a question? How many of you have ever gotten in trouble with your mouth? Let me see your hand. Yeah, I, I, have, I mean, I have trouble with my mouth. I, I, I'm, I'm a talker I, I, and sometimes I say the wrong thing. I oftentimes, as a matter of fact, just assume I say the wrong thing. Like if, you know, like just assume, you know, here's the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to have stimuli and then a thought goes through your brain and then your brain processes the thought and then it comes out of your mouth so others can hear your words. And I have a problem sometimes, uh, it, my, my, that whole process bypasses my brain and it just comes out of my mouth. There are words and conversations we all wish we could take back. There are spoken words and unspoken words we would write on the board. We would write about decisions we made on the board. Man, when we did this and we should have done that, we wish we'd made this decision and instead of that decision, it's altered the trajectory of our lives. There are opportunities lost we would write on the board. There are relationships we should not have been in we'd write on the board. There are even family issues that we would write on a board, how we treated a family member, how we didn't treat a family member, what we said, what we wish we could take back, and then there would be even financial decisions that we wrote on the board. I mean, that's just, that's just a quick list of things that if we had a write your biggest regret on the board, we could fill up a wall with all of us going by and writing down our regrets. Now, I, I, let me, this is, this is a, a difficult sermon, but let me start off with good news because we know that one day, if we know Jesus is Savior, we will get to leave all of those regrets behind. I preached it last week, Revelation 21, that, that every tear and all the pain will be done away with one day. But that's then, and this is now. And now we're having to deal with the pain of regret from all of these things. And before I go any further, just what is regret? And I only put this, you know what regret is, but I want you to see the emotion is that it is that feeling sad, that disappointment in your life over things you've done and things you shouldn't have done. And here's what we know about regret. It'll not only haunt your past, but if you don't do something about it, it can destroy your future. So I want us to stand together, if you will, and take your Bibles and let's read 
John chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. Because in John chapter 8, verse number 1, there's a story of a lady who had enormous regret. Look in John 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came into the temple... And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? They said, this they said, testing him, they might have something with which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, and as though he did not hear. So they continued asking him. He raised himself up and said to them, He who was without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Thank you. You may be seated. Many of you know this story, and I want to just retell it very quickly to set the scene where we are. Jesus was in the temple area. He was teaching the people and the scribes and Pharisees were there and they're always looking for a reason to, to hurt Jesus or to catch him in certain words. And so the Bible says they went and caught a woman in the very act of adultery and they, they take this woman that they have caught in the very act of adultery and they, they drag her before Jesus, probably a woman who is not fully clothed, a woman who is still in her shame and she comes before Jesus and, and, and she's standing before Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees, they, they kind of corner Jesus and they're trying to catch him and they say, all right, Jesus, Moses said, stone her. What do you want us to do? Now, there's a problem here. The Pharisees and scribes, man, they've been playing this for a long time. They've got Jesus. They've got him. We have pinned him down. We've got him. He can't get out of this. Because if Jesus says, don't stone her, then if Jesus were to say this, hey, that's, a, that's, a, that's an antiquated law of Moses. We don't stone people anymore for that. Then he has broken the law of Moses and he can't really be a prophet. Now, they, they've not stoned anyone for adultery in a long time, but they know if Jesus talks bad about the law of Moses, then he can't be a prophet of God. But if Jesus says, all right, boys, everybody, I want all my 12 disciples to get a stone or two and we're going to let this woman have it and we're going to kill her, murder, seek vengeance on her because she's committed adultery, then now there's a problem with the Romans. Because the Romans let no subjugated nation carry out capital punishment on any citizen. Only the Romans were allowed to put someone to death. So if, if, uh, if they say, if he says, don't stone her, that wouldn't be right, then he's broken the law of Moses. Or if he says, let's stone her, and he stones her, now the Romans are going to arrest him and problem solve. So the Pharisees are saying, we've got this, we've got him. And Jesus ignored him, and he sees this woman half-clothed, shameful, no doubt in tears. And he reaches down, and he starts writing in the dirt. The Bible says as if he didn't hear them. And so they just kept on him more. What do we do, Jesus? What do we do? And I picture it like this. It's not in the Bible, but I picture Jesus just kind of reaching over and finding a good hand-sized rock, and he, he rolls it out in front of the Pharisees. And it's brilliant. And he says, all right. That's what the law says. 
So the first one who doesn't have any sin, you throw the stone. And the Bible says he, he, he went back and he started writing on the ground. That's interesting. I'll tell you what he wrote in a moment. It's really interesting what he, what he wrote on the ground. And the Bible says one by one that begin at the oldest, even at the least, they, they fled. Jesus said, hey, lady, where are all the people who were accusing you? And she said, Lord, they're gone. He said, so I'm not going to condemn you either, but go and sin no more. There is a lot in that story about how we get beyond regret. Now, I want you to hear this. At no time in the sermon am I trying to make light of sin or its impact on others. We're not trying to brush wrong off as if it didn't happen. That's never the right case to deal with sin. But there are some things in this story that we need to know to move beyond regret. And I couldn't just stay in the story. I'm going to pull some Bible verses out of some other places that uh, I, I want us to see. But I'm going to try to give us here five different things that, that we need to do to move beyond regret. Just like this woman who was in, in a serious amount of regret as she stood before Jesus and that whole mob. And how do you move beyond that moment in your life? Let me give you five things. Here they are. Number one is this. You have to own your mistakes. The first thing you notice about this situation is that neither Jesus nor this woman uh, blamed it on somebody else. Now, here's the deal. She, it, it, no, they never said, oh, it's not my fault. But here's the deal. It was somebody else's fault. There is no doubt whatsoever that this was a setup by the Pharisees. That in all probability, one of the Sanhedrin paid a man to lure her into adultery so that she could be caught in the act so that they could drag her. The timing is not coincidental. The situation is not coincidental. This had been planned forever. It was a sting. It was a trap. And they paid someone uh, to, uh, to uh, 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 lure her into that moment, to commit adultery at that very moment. You say, how do you know that? Because where's the man? If you're caught in the act of adultery, guess what? That is a man and a woman involved. And he's not found. The reason he's not found is most scholars believe that this was a setup. He was paid off. The lady could have said, hey, wait, it's not my fault. I was tricked. I was trapped. He calls me the same. No, none of that. Jesus knew it. Jesus could have said, well, wait, didn't y'all pay? Nobody did that. They both owned, Jesus owned, I mean, she owned her mistake in front of Jesus. And let me tell you this. The reason many people cannot ever move beyond regret in their lives is that they, you've never owned your own mistake. We have this internal and external image of ourselves, and when it doesn't reconcile with our behavior, what we immediately do is shift into blame mode. It's not really my fault. As a matter of fact, here's what psychology would tell us. I, I, I thought this was worth putting on the screen, that when our behavior threatens our self-concept, our ego automatically goes into hyper-defense mode, circles the wagons, and begins issuing self-justifications designed to protect itself. The higher the moral, financial, and emotional stakes, the more our self-concept, our very identity is threatened. The greater the dissonance that arises, the harder it is to admit a mistake, and the more we seek to justify ourselves to preserve our self-image. You say, what does all that mean? Here's what that means. That the worse you do wrong, the more you try to blame it on other people. Because you have this image of yourself that you're always right. Right? Right? Come on now. 
It's always their fault. And when you violate that image of yourself, your ego goes into hyperdrive saying, well, you did do the sin, but come on, it wasn't your fault. Let's go back to your mouth that gets you in trouble. You regret something mean that you said to a friend or a family member. And you tell yourself something like this. You said it. You blew up. You said it wrong. And here's what you say to yourself. Sometimes you even say it out loud. You say, well, I mean, I said it, but it was their fault. They shouldn't have pushed my buttons that way. That's right. You say, oh, me. Because you've done that. How many of us, how many of y'all, I I don't do that stuff. How many of y'all? No, how many times have you, have you lashed out at a kid and you've been like, and, and, and I shouldn't be screaming at you, but it's your fault for making me do this. How many times have we lashed out with our words and we say something like this? Well, they had it coming. I hate that I was the one that had to tell them, but somebody needed to tell them. So I just took it upon myself to let them have it. Yeah, well. And I know it sounds counterproductive, but you, we've got to own our mistakes. Here's what that means. You're never going to get over regret as long as you're making excuses, as long as you're shifting blame to other people, as long as you are trying to explain away your sin. No, you will never get over regret until you admit you messed up and that you alone are responsible for your actions. Here's what David said. David, when he was taken, when he was caught in adultery and he was caught into murder, he was caught in murder. When David repents in Psalm 51, look at this verse. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. David owned his sin. David could have said, well, Lord, I know I committed adultery, but come on. She was taking a bath outside. I know I shouldn't have been looking, but she shouldn't have been outside. It's, she's half to blame. Lord, I know I murdered Uriah, the Hittite, but come on. I mean, their, their relationship was bad anyway, and I'm not sure he wasn't beating on her a little bit. And so, Lord, I mean, come on. It wasn't all my fault. No, not at all. David said, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And you'll never move beyond regret until you own your own mistakes. And can I tell you this? When you start owning your mistakes, you'll make fewer of them. One reason we can't move on in life, one reason we get stuck in sin is we don't own our mistakes. And so it's always somebody else's fault. So we wind up repeating the same mistakes over and over again. If you'll own it, you'll get tired of making the same mistake. How do I get beyond regret? Number one, own your mistakes. Number two, know this, that the enemy is in the accusation business, not God. The men drug her before Jesus and immediately started accusing her of wrong. That's what the devil does. The Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. He accuses you day and night. And here we find the difference between God and the enemy. Listen to this. Don't miss this. God is in the repentance business. The devil is in the regret business. God is in the repentance business. The devil is in the regret business. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 17. It's a beautiful verse. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. 
Here's what he was saying that, that yes, when you do wrong, there is a sorrow that ever takes your heart. But if it's a godly sorrow, here's where it leads you to, not to regret, but repentance. As a matter of fact, they said there's no regret. Paul said there's no regret when you are convicted of your sin. And that conviction leads to salvation and sanctification and a changed life. Regret is disappointment over getting caught. But no real repentance. Can I tell you this morning that everybody has regrets? There's a reason Jesus was writing in the dust. You know what most scholars believe Jesus was writing in the dust? And it, this has to be true. It has to be true. People think that Jesus, and there's several reasons why, I'll tell you, that Jesus bent down in the sand or in the dirt and he started writing maybe, let's just say, names in the dirt. And he wrote Mary Smith. Who's Mary Smith? Nobody knew but one guy in the group and that was the person that he had cheated on his wife with four or five years ago. And he's not paying attention to the dirt. He might have want to look, but he's not paying attention to the dirt. And he writes another name, and that's this guy's sin. He writes tax evasion. Another guy grabs his wallet. And they said, hey, Jesus, quit writing in the dirt and tell us. And he said, well, all right, just if you don't have any sin, cast the first stone. But look at this. And he starts writing. And here's what the Bible says, that they were all pricked by their own conscience. Why would they be, why would their own conscience be upset? Because Jesus is writing their anonymous sins in the dirt. And the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest. I love the Bible says that. It's like the old guys are like, whoa, I thought I had that covered up, buried, and paid off. Wait a minute, Jesus. The old guys got enough sense to get out of there. And the young guys are hanging around like, I don't let Jesus tell me what to do. I'm not, oh, okay, I'm going to go too. I'm not hanging around to find out what he writes in the dirt when my name gets there. But all they had was regret. The reason you can't move beyond regret is there's no changed life. If you get caught in immorality, uh, listen, repentance abandons the lifestyle. Regret leaves all the underlying issues there. If, if you get caught in gossip, repentance moves beyond gossip. And as a changed life, regret just is more careful who they talk to and when. Godly sorrow, conviction, produces repentance. Because the enemy is in the accusation business. God, God, God is in the repentance business. The third thing that I want to tell you, and this is the low point of the sermon, but hear me, wounds heal, but they do leave scars. We, we hear this mantra in church life a lot. We, we, we talk about forgiving and forgetting. The problem with that is, is it's just wrong. It's trying to take a complex issue and boil it down to a simplistic idea, ideal that doesn't work. And I get it. Forgiveness is a divine principle. We are required by Scripture to forgive people. That's not an option. But Jesus said, I'll only forgive you if you forgive others. So we have no choice in the matter but to forgive other people. But I'm going to tell you, forgetting is a whole other problem. And I know the theology. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, our sins are from God. But hey, let's be honest. That's God. That's not us. And we're still living in this fleshly body. And when we start talking about regrets, what we're really asking is, I just want to forget my mistakes. And I say it's a low point of the sermon because what I'm going to tell you is that just, it doesn't happen. The wounds heal, but they leave scars. But there's even good news in that. And look this way. 
the good news is that, yes, the wounds heal. Yes, they do leave scars, but the scars are there to teach us a lesson. As a matter of fact, I would say, and I don't have these on the board, but I would say the scars will teach us three things. Next time you see a scar, next time you have a memory of what you've done wrong, listen to this, learn three lessons. Here they are. Number one, learn the lesson of pain. What is that, preacher? That means when you stray from God, it hurts. When you stray from God, it's going to leave a wound. It's going to leave a scar. When you stray from God, it's not going to feel good. Pain's going to come. A wound's going to come. Number two, learn the lesson of pride. That when, that when you think you know more than God, you don't, and it's always getting you in trouble. Lord, I know I shouldn't do this, but I know the Bible says this is wrong, but I know this is not what a Christian ought to act like talk like, look like, dress like, but no. Wounds heal, but they leave scars. Number three, learn the lesson of proximity. That is, you can't play around with sin and not get wounded. And you let the scars, you say, preacher, I wish I could forget what I I did. I know you do. I know you do. It's not going to happen. But let me, listen, let the scars be a reminder, not a regret all the days of your life. What do you mean? Next time the devil tries to get you to make the same mistake, you say, no way. I have a scar from the last time I did that. You're not tricking me anymore. That's not regret. That's remembrance. That's learning the lesson of of your wounds, of your scars. And the enemy come back along and you say, do you remember how much fun we had last time we did that sin? Huh, devil? I got a scar from that. My conscience is still wounded. My family still has a scar. No way. No way. Wounds heal, but they do leave scars. But let the scars be a remembrance, not a regret. Finally, number four. Well, two more things. Number four, if you want to get over regret, fix what you broke. The greatest example in the Bible that in the New Testament we find is Luke 19.8, a guy named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector who got saved when Jesus came to his house and tax collectors were hated. You, you would hate them too. You, you think, well, I already hate the IRS. No problem. No, these were worse than that. They were extortionists. They could take what they wanted out of your house. They could exercise. They got filthy rich on the back of people that they abused horribly. But Zacchaeus was, got saved. And when he got saved, he had a lot of regrets, but he said to Jesus, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. Fourfold. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. When you've got a regret, to the best of your ability, fix what you broke. I'm not telling you to pick at it. Listen, I'm not telling you that you're going to get someone to the point of liking you. Listen, if you've wronged somebody, if you're wanting the warm fuzzies from them, it ain't probably going to happen. But you do the one thing you can do to make it right and generally apologize, make restitution. Zacchaeus went above and beyond. He, he, he didn't just give back what he had taken. He gave back four times what he had taken. And by the way, that doesn't mean put a greater burden on someone. I've seen people so many times, they've made a mistake. And to make their conscience better, they just go unload their whole burden on somebody else. That's not what we're talking about. 
We're not talking about you're going to get the warm and fuzzies. We're not talking about you demanding them like you. We're saying that if you broke it, you fix it to the best of your ability. You apologize and you move on. You're never going to be able to move on from regret. And you've tried to fix. There's some of you that you owe somebody an apology. There are some of you that you owe someone something. A restitution in some shape, form, or fashion. Only God can tell you what that is. But that regrets bothering you. Say, preacher, they don't, they don't want anything to do with me. And look, I get it and you get it too. If it were reversed, you'd feel much the same way. But to the best of your ability, you fix what you broke. And then number five, and I'm finished. You want to move beyond regret, wipe the slate clean, and move forward with God. The last command of Jesus in verse number 11 is one of the sweetest verses in all the Bible. Jesus said, where are the accusers? She said, I don't have any. And Jesus said two things. Neither do I condemn you. There may be no more beautiful words in Scripture. That Jesus is not in the condemnation, condemnation business. Jesus is not uh, worried about regret. Listen, Jesus died on the cross and received your punishment for your sin on himself. He wouldn't do that if he just wanted to pile on in your life and be like, you know, I forgave him, but I want you. No, Jesus is not in that business. Matter of fact, we're told he's not in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. Jesus bore our guilt. He bore our shame. He bore our punishment. He bore our regret for every sin we have ever committed on the cross. Jesus bore that. So once you have found forgiveness, once you have fixed the fault, once you have learned the lesson, let it go. Because Jesus already has. You say, well, how do I let it go? He, he wasn't finished. Because look at what else he said. Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. And close your Bibles and look this way. Go and sin no more. When you've been, when you've been done wrong, found out, experienced forgiveness, when you have scars in your life, look this way. If you hear anything I say, hear this. Bury your regret in righteousness. See, if, if you try to seek forgiveness, make restitution, learn from your scars, and go back and live the same way you've lived before, regret is always going to linger. So what Jesus told this woman is, bury your regret in righteousness. Go and sin no more. From today forward, follow God. From today forward, walk with God. From today forward, live for the Lord. From today forward, love others. From today forward, serve God. Regret has a way of fading. When you bury it in righteousness, go and sin no more. You've probably heard of this guy, and I'm finished. He's still alive. His name's Jack Whitaker, and in 2002, he won the largest lottery Powerball ever won at that time, $314.9 million. Now, here's the deal about Jack Whitaker. He's kind of famous in lottery lore. He never bought lottery tickets. He only bought lottery tickets if it went over $100 million. He was the president of a construction company, and his net worth was already $17 million. 
But on December 25th, 2002, Christmas Day, it, it reached that $314 million mark. And he stopped by and he bought $100 in lottery tickets because he never bought them unless they went over $100 million. And he won. He, he got quick picks and he won. And five years later, Whitaker said this to ABC News. Since I won the lottery, I think there's no control for greed. If you, I think if you have something, there's always someone else that wants it. I wish, I wish, hear the words, I wish. I torn the ticket up. He gave $50 million to friends, family, strangers. He tithed to his church. There's a church of God in Hurricane, West Virginia, that has a brand new building today because Jack Whitaker tied to his church. But listen, well, eight months after winning, he had $545,000 in a suitcase in his car outside of a strip club. Here was a church-going, trying-to-live-right man who's now in strip clubs, who's being robbed. People were trying to kill him. His lifestyle went totally immoral. His wife, his ex-wife said this, if I knew what was going to happen, I would have torn the ticket up. I regret ever having the money. His wife left him. His granddaughter's boyfriend overdosed and died. His granddaughter overdosed and died. Jack's been in jail. His life is See, why do you tell us this story? It's such a sad story. It is, but here's the issue. He had regret, but he didn't pursue righteousness. He didn't find repentance. He just stayed in regret. I regret this. I regret that. I regret this. I regret that. That's no way to live. Not for a child of God. A child of God finds repentance, tries to make it right, learns from the scars, owns their mistakes, and then buries regret in righteousness. Go and sin no more. Would you stand with me all across the building? Listen, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're about to make the biggest regret of, have the biggest regret of your life because if you die without Christ, you're going to spend eternity in a place called hell. And it's permanent. When you go to hell, the doors are sealed and heaven is cut off and you don't get out. No one comes to help you. And the Bible tells us that hell will be full of regrets. You'll remember every sermon, every invitation, every gospel presentation you ever heard will be in your mind. And you'll live in hell with an eternity full of regrets. Don't live that way. Just a moment when Josh sings, our staff will be down front. If you need to be saved, you just slip out from where you are, walk down the aisle, take one of those guys by the hand and say, I want to be saved. I don't want to live that eternity of regret. Maybe it is you need to move your membership here. Maybe it is you need to be baptized. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.